All right, so if somebody was wanting to get to know you, or you're having a conversation, you're just meeting someone, and they want to get to know you, uh, you know, one of the first questions that will probably be asked is, so what do you do? You know, well, I don't work again. What, what do you do for a living? Right? One of the first questions that we ask kids as they begin to grow up is, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? Why? Because the world has this upside-down thinking that what you do determines who you are. Jesus in the Bible, he spins it around and turns it right side up and says, no, 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 who you are ought to determine what you do. And so you see this pattern throughout the scriptures. It's especially clear, though, in the New Testament epistles, in, in, the, in the letters that are written. Right? Because in these letters, what you see time and time again is, okay, here's who you are. Here's how you are to think. Therefore, this is how you are to live that you're doing flows out of your being. And so last week, as, as we entered into our confidence series looking at First Peter, uh, we see Peter saying, okay, here's who God is, here's what he's done, here's who you are, here's how you ought to think. And now as we jump into it this morning, Peter's transitioning and he's saying, therefore, here's how you're to live, okay? Listen for that therefore. I think you'll see it right off the bat in the passage. Um, you know, it's interesting. I have this routine. I don't know if you have this routine, but at, at my house, what happens is, uh, you know, several times a week, I'll go to the mailbox and I'll, I'll open it up. I'll grab the mail, I'll come in and I'll set it on the counter. Okay. Steph then will take the mail and she'll walk over and she'll throw it in the trash. Okay. I know a lot of our neighbors, I know they do the same thing. Maybe, maybe you do that, right? I mean, I, I actually think that we could save our mailman like a lot of trouble if he just, as soon as he got the mail, just put it in the trash, Right. But here's the thing, every once in a while, you get something that's kind of important, right? Maybe it's a bill, you know, you wish you didn't get it, but hey, it is, it is there, it is kind of important. Uh, but sometimes you get something special, like a handwritten note or something that just kind of makes your day, because out of the blue, here's, here's a note. You know, when the church that was just starting up, and really the local expression of Christ's church in the Roman Empire, as they've been scattered, when they received this letter from Peter, they opened it up and they said, okay, this is special, all right? This isn't just going into the waste bin of human history. Now, we recognize that these aren't merely Peter's words, that this text is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so as we read this morning, understand that there was a time when the church gathered around and they heard and they received this letter and they said, oh man, Peter wrote this. I mean, this is one of the guys who was with Jesus. He's one of the apostles. He was there. He's the guy, one of the guys who discipled us. I mean, we know. So let's, let's, uh, let's listen expectantly. What is Peter saying to us? And so now, all these years later, the church continues to gather, and we continue to receive the letter of Peter, Peter with anticipation and excitement, learning what God himself really wants to communicate to us. Let's check it out this morning. First Peter chapter 1 verses 13 through 16. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, Peter writes, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
just in case you weren't here last week or in case you, you know, kind of need a little refreshing, just kind of remind you, when Peter begins his letter and he begins writing to, to this church that's been scattered, he begins by telling them who God is, what God's done, and then he tells them who they are. And he says, okay, you are elect exiles, okay? You're elect, you're chosen by God, but at the same time, you're exiles, you're rejected by the world, Okay, and so since you've been chosen by God, here's a reality that you need to think of. You have a living hope, right? Because you have a living Lord in Jesus, and he secured an inheritance for you. And it's an inheritance that is eternal. It's never fading. It's never diminishing. The thrill of this inheritance, when you receive it, it will never dim. It will never grow old. It's, all, it's always fresh and exciting and new. But at the same time, in this world, you are exiles, so you're going through various trials. There are difficulties, right, in living in a sin-cursed world. There's, there's pain and difficulty that you experience. But understand this, these various trials that you experience as exiles, they're temporary. Your inheritance, eternal. Your trials, temporary, okay? But those trials, they actually serve a purpose because they prove the genuineness of your faith. They prove your devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can have confidence in that right there. Man, that shows that your faith is more valuable than gold. I mean, it it is incredible. And then he says, now, understanding this, here's how you ought to think. You need to be fascinated by what God is doing for you. Because think of it, the prophets, this is what they were writing about. They were writing, looking forward to the church age, to to you, who now don't have to look forward to a Messiah, but can look back and see what Jesus has done. This is what the prophets wrote about. And at the same time, this is what the angels look on with awe and wonder and amazement, what God would do in you, through you, that you would be recipients of his grace. And so be fascinated by your blessings and who God has created you to be. This is how you ought to think. And now we get to verse 13, and the first word we see is therefore. And so when he says therefore, what he's saying is, hey, therefore, based on everything else that I've said, right, in light of all that is previous, here's how you ought to live, okay? Here, here's who you are. Here's how you ought to think. In light of that, here's how you ought to live. Your doing flows out of your being. And so what he writes is, uh, hey, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Now, let's just think about that for a moment. Uh, what's the opposite of being sober? Right? Being intoxicated, right? Being drunk. You ever meet anyone who's like smarter when they're drunk? Like, oh man, if, if we get them some more alcohol, man, he's going to be a genius. This is incredible. I mean, look how much smarter this guy's getting. No, that never happens, Right? No, when you become drunk, it's like, I don't even know what they're saying. They don't even make sense. I mean, they might make sense to themselves, but not to anybody else. Almost like, what? You know, it's, it, you become confused. And so Jesus, or Peter, he's saying, hey, be sober-minded. Don't be drunk-minded, to put it another way. Uh, and since it's football season, hey, prepare your minds for action. Get your head in the game. Let's be, let's be thinking about who we are. And notice, he's writing during polarizing times in Rome. I mean, this is a difficult time of persecution that, that's going on. And there's a lot of drunk-minded people throughout the empire who are becoming very emotional due to the different cultural conflicts that are taking place, the different factions that are forming, the different allegiances that are out there. 
And so it's, everyone's picking sides. And by the way, and the Christians aren't on anybody's side, so everybody's against them. But in that, there's a whole lot of emotionally charged people who are all picking their sides, going to their corners. And, uh, and here's the church. And the temptation for the church is just to give into that and like, okay, we, we got to pick our side too. And he said, no, no, no. That's, that's being drunk-minded. Be sober-minded. And, you know, it's amazing, isn't it? Have things really changed that much? I mean, we, we read about this, but it's like the same thing is true today. And here's the point that Peter's making. For the Christian, worship includes your thinking. Okay? For the Christian, worship includes your thinking. So worship God with your mind. Worship with your mind. You know, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's your emotional life. With all your mind. That's your mental life. With all your soul. That's your spiritual life. With all your strength. That's your physical life. In our world today, we tend to think of worship as primarily emotional and spiritual. And so, a lot of the language that you hear related to worship is, you know, I sang to the Lord, it just felt so good. I cried out to him, it just, I could just feel like his presence. And that stuff's not wrong, okay? It's not, that's not wrong. But if it's simply that, Okay? If it's not mental, if it's not with your mind, if it's not with your thinking, it's incomplete. Because God wants all of who we are. And so there are some people out there, hey, I really enjoy singing. But like reading and studying? No, not so much. And so the encouragement there is, well, learn to read and study. There are some people, hey, I, I love to read and study the scripture, but I mean, like singing and the emotional stuff, like uh, that kind of weirds me out. Get your emotions in the game. The same thing physically. Like, do you ever do, you ever do things physically just to, just to demonstrate your love for the Lord? You look at your body as, as an act of uh, how you steward your body as an act of worship to the Lord. Because the point is, Jesus is saying, I want all of you. I want all your person, all of who you are. But at the same time, order is important. And so as the New Testament uh, writers write, Here's how you ought to think, and here's what you ought to do. Your thinking precedes your doing. That order matters. For instance, when I used to take uh, mission trips to rural Montana, everybody in rural Montana has a gun, okay? Everybody hunts. Uh, One of the common prayer requests that you'll hear over there, and I heard it, I mean, so many times I can't even count, is at the end of hunting season, hey, man, we're just praying that we get a deer or an elk, Okay, we just, we got to get one. Hunting season's almost over, and if we don't get one, we don't have meat for the winter. Okay, and so you, you hear that a lot, all right? So we're over there. The first time we're over there, one of the guys hands me uh, a gun. I'd never held more than a BB gun, you know, or a paintball gun in my life. And I'm saying, oh, yeah, this is really, this is really neat. And they're like, what are you doing? It's so one of the guys on the team is like, okay, Steve, you know, when we get back to Washington, I'm sh- taking you to the gun range because, you need to at least look like you've done this before, okay? I mean, and so, so he did, and we went. And you know what he didn't say? Ready, fire, aim. Yeah, I mean, that'd be pretty dangerous, you know, if you're firing before you're aiming. Like, the order matters. It's ready, aim, fire for a reason. And the same thing is true spiritually, that your thinking matters. I mean, how many, how many of you, you ever become super emotional about something? And you say, man, I just got to do something. I, mean, I just feel all that. I just got to do something. 
you know, what you most need to do probably at that time is to think about what you're going to do before you do it, right? That your thinking needs to precede your doing because when you do just out of emotion, what tends to happen? You make a foolish decision. You, you, you say, oh man, I wish I could have that one back, right? I just, I just acted and I didn't think. So we've got a real problem in, in the Christian church and it's mindless Christianity. This is what Peter's talking about. And hey, living in the Roman world at that time, hey, you've got to be sober-minded because the temptation is going, to become, is going to be to become mindless and just join in mob mentality. And whatever the world says to think about things, that's what you're going to do. Is you're, just going to, you're going to pick your team and you're going to go that way. That's the temptation is to be mindless. And he's saying, no, 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 we must be mindful. That means your Christianity, your faith should be studied it should be reflected, it should be discussed, it should be pondered over, it should be taken seriously. If it's driven just by emotion, it generally leads to mob mentality. And I believe that's especially true in our culture today. Why? Because social media. It's really limited our attention spans. And so everything's got to be like 120 characters or less, right? Like, okay, just give me the quick hashtag, you know, Give me, a, give me a nice little picture with maybe a phrase, a catchphrase, and, you know, that'll be my theology. That's how I think. I mean, I don't want to read words. You know, just, just, give, just break it down for me bite-sized real quick. That's what I need. And I think that's a real danger because as believers, as Christians, we're supposed to worship God with all of our minds. We should be thoughtful, thinking people. Why? What happens to mindless people? I mean, they follow the mob. Oh, you're upset. They're upset. Everybody else is upset. Well, I should be upset too. Yeah, I'm upset too. All right, what are, what are we going to do? We got we to do something here. I mean, does this sound at all familiar? I mean, do you see this in our society? It's mindlessness. Now listen, I don't know, I don't know a lot about construction work, okay? Never, never been in that line of work, but I, I know this. It's a whole lot easier to deconstruct than it is to construct, okay? You hand me a sledgehammer, I can swing. You give me a blueprint, nothing's happening, Okay, I mean, it, we'll just sit, sit around. Uh, because it's a whole lot easier to deconstruct than it is to construct. And so what's happening in our world right now? There's a whole lot of mindlessness out there that's deconstructing everything. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing the deconstruction of marriage. We're seeing the deconstruction of gender. We're seeing the deconstruction of ethnicity. We're seeing the deconstruction of an economic system. We're seeing the deconstruction of a justice system. It goes on and on. It's deconstruction after deconstruction. And if you're mindful and you ask, well, okay, what are we going to replace all this with? Well, I don't know. Just do whatever feels good to you. If it feels good to you, it works. Because you, you can decide. Right? Well, what kind of system is that? You know, and so the, from mindless people, what we get is we look at systems. And we say, the system is the problem. Now listen, I'm not saying there aren't flaws in systems and that we shouldn't work to make systems better. Absolutely, absolutely we should. But here's the condition of the human heart. Here's the condition of humanity. We always want to put the blame on somebody else other than ourselves. And so the temptation for humanity is to say, you know what, it's the system's fault. If it wasn't for the system, I'd be in a different place. You know what, the beautiful thing about Christianity is uh, it's not the system's fault. The problem is man-centered thinking instead of God-centered thinking. And by the way, 
when I go to someone and I say, you know what? It's just the system. It's the system that made you this way. That's incredibly devaluing and demeaning to the person. Because what it tells them is, no, no, you have no way to escape this. Whatever the mob tells you to think, that's what you're going to think. Whatever they tell you to do, that's what you're going to do. Whatever they tell you you're going to become, that's what you're going to become. You have no way of escape. This is just who you are. You're pigeonholed right into that. Isn't it amazing that in the Roman Empire, when everything was against Christianity, and the one thing that they could unite on was that Christians were evil, that Peter doesn't write and say, you know what, it's the Roman system. That's the problem. If you can just deconstruct the Roman Empire and that evil system, then you can get prosperity. No, no, no. He points to the responsibility of the individual that you all created with value and with worth and that the system doesn't have to define you, that he can define you because you're made in the image of God. I mean, it's incredibly valuing to every individual. Listen, if Jesus and the word of God is not the solution, then the ultimate answer will cause human harm and suffering instead of human blessing and flourishing. And that's what we're seeing right now. And by the way, that's why we're doing an event like happening now. Because what's really easy for us to do, even as Christians, is say, you know what, the world is spinning out of control. I'd rather just kind of like not think about it, put my head in the sand, and just, you know, whatever happens, happens, I'm out. I don't want to engage this mess. And on the other hand, the other uh, side of it is, to get all riled up, and then, to, oh man, it just defines everything. We just consumed it. You just go around this rabbit hole of conspiracy theories, everything else. It's just, whoa, it's consuming. And it, and it, and it produces worry and anxiety and concern. Listen, when you're anchored in Jesus, you're mindful about what's happening, but you live with a hope because your hope is tethered to Him. It's not tethered to what's going on in the world. There's a confidence that Jesus wins, that he makes all things new. By the way, this is also why we're gathering together in just smaller groups and just asking some real important questions right now, because we want to be mindful people who are actually thinking seriously, critically about how we're living, what we're prioritizing, what we're doing. And if you say, man, I, you know, I'd really love to be in a group like that. We're just got some people in my life who are asking me these kind of questions. Listen, there's a place for you. Let us know. Fill it out in the communication card. Let us know. We'd love to get you connected that way. Uh, but Peter, he's saying here, prepare your minds for action. Get in the game. Be sober-minded. And then he says, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, You set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed in the revelation of Jesus Christ. The concept of hope in our world is like an open possibility, you know? You hope, uh, you know, Brian's hoping the Cowboys win today, right? Others are hoping they're losing, but we, we don't know, right? We, will they win or lose? We don't know. It's just a hope. You know, we hope that, hey, we're going to have some great weather coming up, you know, but it could be rainy. We, we don't know, right? It's an open possibility. You understand, hope for the Christian is, an, is, an, is eternally secured. It's a guarantee, it's not an open possibility. It's a closed certainty because the hope is tethered to Jesus Christ. And so here's what that does for the believer. When the world feels like it's spinning out of control and shifting this way and that way, we're not shifting because our hope is tethered to Jesus. We don't just blow with the winds of the day. We're tethered to the one who controls all of the universe, who doesn't shift, 
who doesn't move, who doesn't sway. And so this is who we're tethered to. Um, here's the point. Everybody wants heaven, you know? I mean, you don't, you don't meet anyone who does not like the concept of heaven. Everybody, everybody wants heaven. But there's not a whole lot of people that actually want Jesus. You know, everybody wants heaven, but there's not a whole lot of people who actually want Jesus. And so what happens is we've got all these different kind of ideological, philosophical, political systems trying to create heaven now without Jesus. And for the Christian, we just have a longer viewpoint. So you know, we recognize he's the only one who can make all things right. He's the only one who can end injustice, who can bring healing, who can, who can unite a people. He's the only one who can do this. He's the only one who can make all things new. And so we anchor our hope solely in Jesus. And that's the point. It's solely in Jesus. It's not a divided hope. You know, Peter doesn't write to the church and say, okay, hope in Jesus and also really hope for a new emperor because Nero's evil. You know? nah, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't care about the emperor. I mean, yes, you want government who like, aims toward what is good and, 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 and helps prevent evil. Yes, we pray for our leaders, all these different things. We, but we have a right understanding of government and the political system. And we also have a right understanding of where our hope ultimately is. And so it's not, I hope in Jesus and the election. No, no, it's I hope in Jesus, period, right? Because we know how this thing ends. We know that no human can bring about heaven on earth. Can't be done. Do we want good governance? Yes, absolutely. But our hope is solely in Jesus. By the way, at the beginning of uh, the birth of this culture, you had uh, this country, you had some of the writers at that time writing, and they were saying things like, hey, self-governance only works with a people who is fully committed to God. Self-governance doesn't really work if the people are not fit to govern themselves. That's why when you take American democracy and you bring it into sometimes these other places on the earth, Muslim countries and things like this, is it working? Are they flourishing over there? No, because they're not fit to govern themselves. What's happening, I believe, is the church has abdicated her first hope in Jesus. And a lot of times we put it in different politicians and things like this. And we've, we're, a divided hope leads to a breakdown of society. Self-governance only works if, if you're tethered to the right person, Jesus. So don't have a divided hope. Live anchored to the hope of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And because when he is revealed fully, either in our death and being present with him or in his return, he will make all things right. And so we lock our minds in and we're focused, hey, I'm on team Jesus. That's, so I'm going to live according to his standard. Here's the playbook of life. Here, here's how I can live a life of, of joy and hope and, and peace and patience. And here's how I'm going to be transformed. And it's through, a, it's, it's through Jesus. And so Paul continues and he says, hey, you live as obedient children of God. Okay? You're the children of God. 
Don't be conformed. There's a lot of pressure to conform, right? There's a lot of pressure out there to conform. Everybody's saying, get on our team, think this way. Here's how you should interpret the world. Here's how you should think. And, and therefore, here's how you should live. And, uh, and Peter's writing just the opposite. And he's saying, no, 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 don't be conformed. Don't give into that pressure. When everyone's telling you, here's how you think, here's how you should think, here's how you should think. No, 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 I'm not going to be like that. If you're a Christian on earth, understand there's going to be a lot of uh, teams fighting to change the way that you think, right? To get you to think according to a world, upside down world value system, as opposed to a right side up biblical viewpoint. So you're saying, think this way. And Peter said, no, 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 don't be conformed. Don't be conformed. And what he says you should be concerned about is your conduct, your personal conduct as the children of God. Because you're going to stand before God and you're going to be an account for one day saying, okay, did I just do what everyone else is doing? Or was I mindful? Was I, was I thinking? Did I worship God with all of my mind? And, you know, children, their primary responsibility really is to obey their parents, right? I mean, that's the primary responsibility that you see in the scriptures, children obey. Yeah, every child has different temperament, personality, strengths, weaknesses, whatever else. That doesn't really matter. Yeah, you have all that, but still obey. And now we are adopted into the family of God. God is Father. Our primary responsibility is to be obedient to him. And there's a lot of temptation out there to not, to think differently than his standards and what he's saying. So the reason why this is important is because of who God is, right? If you could pick one attribute to describe God, if you were to ask, you know, hey, pick one attribute to describe God, I think the attribute that I hear most often when, you know, I have these kind of discussions in small groups is God is love. And yes, God is love. But you know the attribute that is uh, most used in scripture to describe God? Holy. The God's a holy God that he's set apart, that there is no one like him, that he is holy. And then our response, to be holy as he is holy. That's, that's the view. That's the mindset. God, I, you're, you're so wonderful. You're so unbelievable. I just want to be like you. We struggle with that because there's the pressure of the world to conform, 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 conform. And so Paul writes, hey, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, right? Don't just go along with in the, in the fool's parade doing whatever they're doing. Don't, don't be conformed to that, but be transformed by the renewing of your emotions. No, by the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of your mind. Why is that important? Because then you'll be able to discern what God's will is. That's what Paul says. And so Peter, he's, he's talking about the same type of stuff. Don't be conformed by the passions of your former ignorance, okay? The problem is not that we're passionate. That's not the problem. The problem is sometimes we get passionate for the wrong things, and God wants us to be passionate for his holiness. You know, passion and emotion and excitement and all that, it's kind of like wind in the sail, but your mind, your thinking is like the rudder, okay? It's the rudder for your life. If, if you're not thinking, that passion leads to destruction, right? You're going to crash. 
But if you're thinking and you channel that passion in the right way, namely directed toward the holiness of God, being consistently changed by Jesus who the disciple is, right, then it's profitable. And, you know, a lot of times what we love to do is to say, hey, look at their sin, look at their sin, look at their sin, look at their sin, look at their sin. And it would have been really easy for Peter to do that is to point out all the evil in the Roman Empire. Look at what they're doing is wrong, look at the evil of the system, look at all this stuff. But you know what the Bible always does? Puts it back, no, 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 we don't need to talk about them. Let's talk about who you are, because you're my bride. You're my children, you're my people. And here's who I've set you to be. I'm setting you apart. I'm setting you to think differently so that you will live differently so that the culture would be stirred up to want what you have. So don't be conformed. Don't be conformed. Uh, the challenge is to be holy in an unholy world. That's, that's the bottom line. Be holy in an unholy world because our ultimate allegiance is not to the mob thinking is not to selfishness and do what we want. Our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus. You know, Peter would write, as the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and Jesus is Lord. And when you think about that just for a moment, you think about the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, it was the largest empire in the world. It had the strongest uh, army in the world. It was an economic juggernaut of its time. But you know what? There is no Roman Empire anymore. You know, it faded. You know, it self-destructed, really. Uh, and at the same time, I love our country. I, I believe that you know, we are incredibly blessed to be alive at this time in this country, a place of freedom. But you know what? This nation, too, will come to an end. The kingdom of our Lord and his Christ will endure forever. There will be no ending, and it will be perfect. There, it will be free from the stain of sin. It will be perfect. And so knowing that and having our hope tethered to Jesus, we live sober-minded. We live thinking as thinking people the holy life now because we are anchored to the hope of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that in a world that's full of sin, chaos, confusion, division, God, that you are the one who is an anchor for our souls, that you are the one who, who brings peace, who brings goodness and life, who makes all things new. And so, God, we, your church, uh, help us to be a mindful people who worship you with all of who we are, our emotions and our spiritual life. Yes, absolutely. But God, also with our minds and our bodies. We need your help to do this. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.